Welcome to the Bookwifery Podcast, a weekly podcast that helps you birth your book, your voice, and your audience through discernment, companionship, and guidance. I'm Christiane Squires, the founder of Bookwifery, and my mission is to help you birth books that heal the world with light. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Bookwifery Podcast. This is episode eight, and we are going to be talking today, this week, about what to do when you want to be Anne Lamott, Henry Nowen, or Liz Gilbert, or really fill in the blank with any other writer that you absolutely adore. So we're going to talk a lot about what that desire is about and how you can apply it to your own situation. Um, We're also going to kind of unpack what it would even mean for us to say that we want to be those people. Um, And I'm hoping that by the end of it, you have some sense of... um, perspective and maybe some hope and a little bit of empowerment and confidence kind of poured into your heart and that you feel like you have more of a sense of what it means to be you in the world. So before we dive in, I want to uh, mention a couple things. First of all, just that if I'm going to mention a lot of different books and resources and people in this episode, and so anything that I mention is going to be available to you on the show notes page for this episode. So you can go to birth, uh, you can go, I'm sorry, you can go to bookwifery.com slash podcast and just navigate over to episode eight should be right there at the top. If you're listening to this episode, when it goes live. And there will be all the links that we talk about in this episode there for you. Um, Also want to let you know, if you weren't aware, that I have a weekly email that I send out to my email list called Birth Notes, and it's a really sweet little space that I've created to just go behind the scenes a little bit with people who want to be a little bit closer to what Bookwifery is doing, what the podcast is about each week. So I talk to you about um, kind of my heart behind each episode for you and maybe sometimes give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at some of the production challenges I might face in a given week, um, and then just continue to keep you updated on all things bookwifery. So again, you can subscribe to the birth notes or find links to anything that I mentioned in this episode or any episode going forward if you go to bookwifery.com slash podcast and then just navigate over to the relevant episode that you're listening to and you'll find all the relevant links. Okay, so... When you want to be Anne Lamott, Henry Nowen, or Liz Gilbert, what's a girl to do? So first thing I want to say is that this is just so common um, for us to feel this way. If you have kind of the itch in your hands to be a writer, whether or not you consider yourself like a literary writer or not, if you consider yourself someone who is called to write a book in support of the work that you're here to do in the world, no doubt you are aware of other writers in the world who've published books that have impacted you in a deep way. And you probably look at them with such admiration, such respect, um, such kind of awe, perhaps, um, or maybe a little bit of envy, like how could I ever (laughs) be that person? Um, And so I, I say it's common because I just, I hear it all the time in the work that I do. Um, writers who are like, I just want to be like such and such writer. And, um, I felt it too myself in my own writing life um, way back in the early start of my career. Um, even before I got started in my career, I was, bo- you know, 
taking creative writing classes. I was reading a ton of literary writers, contemporary writers, and just learning what it was that I loved about the written word, what it was that I loved about the stories and the people whose books I was reading. And Anne Lamott was certainly a person who opened up my world in a big way, both as a writer, but also spiritually. She was she had a huge influence on um, a pretty significant journey I was taking spiritually in those early years of my um, professional young adulthood. And I read her book, Traveling Mercies, and just felt like I was meeting someone who talked about faith in a way that I really needed to hear. Um, I also read a lot of her fiction at that time, um, her earliest books, Hard Laughter, All New People, um, Crooked Little Heart, these books that, I mean, she was just so prolific in my mind, and everything she wrote just seemed like gold. Obviously, Bird by Bird, um, her book about the writing life, and I just felt like this woman knew how to do something with language on the page that I just could not, I just marveled at it and was also being transformed in my heart and spiritually by things that she was writing about that I really needed to hear at the time. So she's certainly one of those people for me. At that time in my life, the other pe- some other people I was reading, Lauren Winner had just come on the scene with her book, Girl Meets God. I was amazed at what she did to connect the Jewish faith faith with the Christian faith and how they speak to one another. Kathleen Norris had recently published her book, The Cloister Walk. She was a poet who wrote a prose book, has written many prose books since, but she was writing about going to live in a Benedictine abbot. Abbey, I'm sorry, becoming an oblate at a Benedictine Abbey and going to live at the Abbey several times throughout the year and just writing about different high seasons and um, feast days and her experiences with the monks and her own experiences of prayer and God. And I just, um, if you can't tell, there's a theme here for me in my early days as a writer where I was really loving writers who were writing about their own spiritual experiences and doing it in a beautiful way. And in those early years for me as a a fledgling editor, I was also kind of getting my feet under me as a writer and doing a lot of short story writing. I was trying to write a couple different um, longer form books. And um, just felt like these were people whom I looked up to, and I wondered how it would be possible to ever write like someone like they did. Later on in my um, my journey, my life, my work that I was doing, I started to read a lot of Henry Nowen and Thomas Merton and um, some other spiritual formation writers that, again, kind of captivated me and made me feel like, oh, I just wish I could write like them. Henry Nowen, especially, he would he published I think four, maybe four or five journals of his, and they were just a chance to go behind kind of his more polished work and see what his prayer life looked like and how he was growing in his journey with God, how he was wrestling with his um, vocation and his relationships. Uh, He also published a lot of petite books on the inner journey and kind of growing into our belovedness, growing in our life of solitude and silence and prayer. I just, um, Thomas Merton, he published The Seven Story Mountain, kind of came on the scene as a literary writer through his autobiography, Seven Story Mountain, and then wrote a lot of books about what the inner inner life of prayer is like. And I just found um, these writers 
to be so encouraging to my spirit. And um, you may, you no doubt have your own writers that fit this category for you. They either opened up your heart and your world as writers, and you found yourself almost like tasting and chewing on and savoring their words and their lyrical way of crafting sentences and paragraphs and stories, or you maybe fell in love with the way that their ideas and their reflections and observations impacted your own journey and your understanding of yourself and the world and, um, you know, the spirit and um, just really made an impact on who you've become. So we all have kind of these writers in our life that um, either from a purely literary perspective or from an impact perspective, we just, they have this like special place in our heart and they've just like taken up residence there and they will always be special to us. And when it comes to facing the page and considering yourself as a writer and potentially, you know, eventual author of a book, no doubt you are aware of them kind of hanging around in your heart and you're thinking, oh, I just wish that I could be like, I wish I could write like them. I wish I could sound like them on the page. So I'm saying it's a common experience. I'm saying that I have felt it too. I'm right there with you. Um, and I want to, I want us to unpack this a bit. I want us to go into this. What is this about and what can we take from it in our own journeys as writers? So I'll start with a kind of an example, um, a writer that I worked with this past year to two years, um, has said to me many times, I, you know, Henry Nowen is one of those writers for her. So, and the other one that she wishes she could write like is Dallas Willard. And so many times as we worked together on her book, she would tell me how much she wished that when she read her words, they sounded a little bit more like Henry Nowen or Dallas Willard, these two great spiritual writers. And, um, we had to kind of unpack that so many times because for me, when I would read her, her words on the page, I think one of my very first comments back to her when she first let me read her manuscript for the first time was, this book sounds like you. And she didn't expect to hear that. And I remember her being really surprised and and almost like not knowing if that was a good thing or not. To me, it was a marvelous thing because I knew her. We had a relationship before we started working on her book together. And when I read her words on the page for the first time, I felt like I could hear her voice in my head. And not just because I know what her voice sounds like in real life, but because of the the expressions that she used, the colloquialisms, um, the very um, casual, conversational, very um, accessible way that she had of talking about her subject, which was a deep subject. She's ta- she was talking it was in the spiritual formation realm um, of spiritual writing. And she was talking about very deep concepts, but she was doing it in a way that I felt like anyone who picked it up that had an interest in the topic um, could really go there with her. She had a very easy way of explaining things. And I just, I, I kept, we kept coming back to um, the truth that her voice on the page sounding just like her was such a gift to the reader because they aren't looking for her to be these other great writers that she so loves. And I can appreciate because I so love them too. Um, They weren't looking for her to sound like Henry Nowen or Dallas Willard. They were looking for her to sound like her. And they wanted to get to know her and her perspective in the book that they were reading and have another voice on their bookshelf that could speak to this topic that they were interested in, that all these other writers have also written about in different ways. But here's yet one more voice. And isn't that great when you can find 
yet another author that writes books in the area that you love. It's like, oh my gosh, I have a whole nother person I can read now and follow and get to know and learn from. And so I want to say, first of all, like this is a plus. It's a plus when you sound like yourself and not someone else who's already out there sounding like themselves. Um, but I want to I want to unpack this even more. <laughs> I feel like I'm just very slowly peeling back layers and layers of this. Um, so number one, what would it? So let's let's look again at my friend. Um, my friend and client, and what would it mean for her to say that she wishes that she sounded like Henry Nowen or Dallas Willard? And when I think about that, I think about Henry Nowen and I think, okay, this is a man who wrote in the 1980s and 1990s. He was a Catholic priest. And then Dallas Willard, this deep philosopher at USC who has written also all of these really incredible books on spiritual formation and um, life with God. And his books can be very dense and heady, um, but are incredibly powerful. Um, And I'm thinking, okay, but my friend here, she is not writing in the 1980s and 1990s. This is the 2018 time. And she's not a Catholic priest. And she's not this deep philosopher who has a chair at USC. Um, She's herself. She lives in the Midwest. She goes to an evangelical church. She is a teacher. She is a mother. She is a grandmother. Um, she is a friend. She is a wife. And that informs the kind of stories and voice and perspective and experience that she brings to what she teaches. So there's just like the flat, you know, bare bare bones of the fact that we can't actually be another person. (laughs) But there's also just this, um, there's this deeper current that I want us to get to in this episode. And it's what does it mean um, for each of us to be who we are in this world, doing what we do and speaking what we have to speak. So what would it mean for us to actually be these people that we are saying that we so much want to be on the page in terms of our writing life? We so much want to be them. So I want us to kind of look at each of these writers that I've named and really see what does it mean for them to be them, to have even written the books that they've written. Um, what are we really saying when we say we wish we could be them? Because what we're really saying is that in order for that to happen, actually, it's not what we're really saying, but it's really in order for that to happen, we would have to have the same experiences as them and have applied them in the same ways. So let's let's look take a look at this. So Anne Lamott, okay. In her book, Bird by Bird, she tells a lot of the story of how she became a writer. And we know from that book that she started writing from a very young age. She was very aware from a young age of her eccentricities. She often talks in her books about how um, she felt like she didn't have the rule book that everyone else seemed to have gotten about how to live and how to make it through life. Uh, She had these very intense feelings. She had this frizzy hair. Um, She just always felt like she didn't quite fit in. She tells stories about how she was the Kelly girl, which is um, back in the day was kind of what 
temp girls were known as in different office settings. So she was a temp and um, she talked about how she would take these temp jobs as a Kelly girl and um, it was like a chance for her to do all of this kind of furtive writing on the side as she was sitting at the desk expected to be doing this temp work. She was often using the time to scribble her notes for herself about her work, her work writing projects and um, kind of working on her stories and her, you know, different things that she was creating. So we see in Anne Lamott, someone who from a young age, all the way through her young adulthood, she was continuously committed to her craft and to kind of just being fiercely the writer that she knew she was, even though she felt very much like an oddball. Um, We also know about Anne Lamott from her book, Traveling Mercies in particular, um, that she has been through a journey of sobriety. She came to a point of needing to set down alcohol and start to become sober. And also in that process was started on a journey to finding faith. And she talks about this in the book, Traveling Mercies. But then um, there's other parts of her story that show up in her works. Um, Her father died of cancer. One of her best friends died from cancer or got sick. Yeah, I think she eventually died from cancer as well. And so those stories show up in other books that she wrote. And so we see in Anne Lamott, someone who channeled the truths and circumstances of her life into her books. So the fact that she always felt like an oddball is such a part of the way she sets the stage of bird by bird. And the fact that she lost her father to cancer is the backdrop and ultimate story of her novel, Hard Laughter. And the fact that she had to take the journey to sobriety and finding faith is kind of the the impetus for her book, Traveling Mercies, about her journey to finding faith. And so we have this woman who lived her life, the reality of her life, and she she used it as fuel for the books that she's written and continues to write. Then let's take a look at Henry Nowen. Here we have a celibate Catholic priest, a male. He is someone that we know to have had very intense feelings, very tumultuous in his relationships, his friendships, um, ongoing search for vocation in his life, um, just, you know, went from teaching at places like Harvard Divinity School to Yale. I think he was at Notre Dame as well. Um, Went down to South America and did some missions work for a while and eventually ended up with the Larch community in, I want to say, I think he was in Toronto, but living in a home for people with different kinds of disabilities and learning how to live in community and found himself finally able to rest. So we have this man who um, was gifted writer, gifted priest, um, very intense emotional experience of life, always seemed to be searching for his vocation, loved serving the Eucharist to people, especially when he was teaching at university. He was fierce in his friendships. He was often searching. He eventually found his way to a vocation that he could settle into and actually receive love. And I just want to note again, notice that here we have someone who channeled his life experiences, uh, his own experiences and those that he encountered in the experiences of those around him. He channeled all of life that he experienced and that he witnessed into his books. So like I said earlier, he's published his journals. He wrote books about what it means to live into our belovedness, um, 
questions about vocation, finding our place in the world, connecting with God. So these were all things that he was personally experiencing or he was encountering in the lives of people he was ministering to or doing life with, and he was writing books out of that lived life. And then we turn to Liz Gilbert. So we've got Anne Lamott, Henry, Henry Nowen, and Liz Gilbert. Um, Liz Gilbert tells stories about her early life as a writer. And she talks about how she, I think she says that she used to work at a, as a bartender or in a bar. And she was doing that to kind of make ends meet. But really, her true work was being a writer. And she would, she wrote for GQ and I think Esquire as well in her early career as a writer. She published. I want to say three books, at least one book, um, but maybe up to three books before Eat, Pray, Love ever came on the scene. And um, one of them, I remember, I haven't read it, um, but it was about kind of like what it means to be an American man or the last American man or something like that. Um, and so just very different than than the subjects we know her to write about now. But what I love when we look at Liz Gilbert as an example is someone who is both a memoirist, but also a novelist, and also someone who's writing in the creativity and self-help um, space. So she kind of defies category. Um, and Lamont does as well. These are people who are writing, you know, they're trans, they're, they're writing like all across the field. She's written her memoirs, you know, Eat, Pray, Love, Committed. Um, she's also written novels, The Signature of All Things, which was an incredible novel. It's so beautiful, so fully researched. Um, she's, I believe, working on a novel now as well. Um, and she's also obviously written in the creativity and self-help space with her book, Big Magic. And that book was born out of what she was not only encountering as she was going around and talking about, she became the Eat, Pray, Love woman, you know, this person who knew, you know, who could talk about what it means to kind of find your way, your your path, your life that you're meant to live. And she would go and give these talks and then do these Q&A sessions and the kinds of questions that just came up continuously from people about how to live with that kind of freedom and with that kind of creativity. And so Big Magic was a partly born out of that experience on the road of talking to people who had read Eat, Pray, Love and had questions about how to live that kind of way in the world, but also wrote Big Magic out of her own experience of having published this book that became, you know, this incredible bestseller, was made into a movie, Julia Roberts starred in it. I mean, it's just like the epic dream of any writer. Um, and then she had to write another book and just the fear of how do you follow that? And so you may be familiar with her TED Talk where she talks about how she tried to write her second book, or not her second book, but her book that followed Eat, Pray, Love. And how she had to learn what she believed about the muse and the artist's temperament. And um, and so Big Magic was very much a part of that exploration that she had to take herself. So what I'm getting at here is that she, too, is a person who was living fiercely her own life, who was just fully engaged in the world around her, whether she was bartending, whether she was going to Italy and India and Indonesia, whether she was, you know doing all this research about moss and the history of evolution and all the index cards that she would put together to kind of research her subject for the signature of all things or whether she was trying to figure out what it means to be creative. Um, she was living all of this and she was channeling it into her creative work. 
So what I see when we say, I wish that I could write like Anne Lamott, or I wish that I could be like Henry Nowen on the page, or I wish that I could write like Liz Gilbert. I see that as um, two things. First of all, we are saying that we want to we want the chance to impact people the way that we personally have felt impacted by these writers that we love. You know, it's like we read these books and we have this experience. It's almost it really is almost like a spiritual experience. Maybe it is a spiritual experience, not almost. And we are deeply affected either creatively with the just beauty that we see on the page or spiritually or emotionally, or we're challenged mentally or intellectually, I should say, or uh, relationally, we're challenged by these books. And they, they somehow make their way into this crevice in our heart that it's like, that gets opened up from our encounter with these works and they make their way in there. And it's like they form their own little home. (laughs) And I think what we're saying when we're saying we want to be like these people We are number one saying, I think, that we want our work to be able and worthy, you know, in its in its um, in its craft and in its um, intent and in its message to impact people to have an impact. Um, So it's it's a very brave thing for us to say that we want that with our work. Um, But I also think there's a part of us that when we say that, we really do mean sometimes that we wish we could write what they wrote. We wish we could use language in that same way. We wish we could have written a book on the same subject. Um, yeah. And I just, I think I, what I'm, what I hope to have, you know, pulled out for you here by looking at the stories of these three, three particular people, but we could have done it for anyone, anyone on your list of favorite authors, you could do the same thing with looking back through their history, learning the story that's there noticing the works that they produced, how they flowed out of the encounters that they had in their own life and the circumstances and situations of their own life. So ultimately, we can't be these people because we have not lived those same circumstances. We have not encountered the same world that they encountered at the time they encountered it. We are not inside their skin. Um, we are not playing with those experiences and the language that expresses them in the same way. Um, it just isn't possible. But what we can do is is notice how they did it. And it's that they lived fiercely their own lives. And they channeled their work into words somehow. Now, either they were channeling that work into words, either because they had to, because they just couldn't help themselves. And I look at um, all three of these as examples of that, writers through and through. Henry Nowen isn't necessarily um, who someone we'd normally consider a literary writer. He's a spiritual writer, um, but he is someone I view as, you know, almost unable to help himself from from putting his his thoughts, his experiences, his observations, his beliefs into words, um, as evidenced by him publishing four or five of his personal journals throughout his life. Um, so they're doing it either because they can't help themselves, they can't not write, or because they genuinely want to help others with the experience or the knowledge or the wisdom that they have and ultimately over the course of their lives have put together a body of work. 
So I want to apply this to you. What would it mean for you to be channeling your experiences, your perspective, your wisdom, your knowledge? Um, What is it for you to channel all that you have into a body of work yourself? And I'm I'm hope, hoping that even in asking that question, you begin to notice ways in which you are already doing that or have already done that. And maybe what you're embarking on right now is the first book of many that you will write, but even getting to the place where you have a book inside of you to, to birth into the world, that you can look behind yourself and see the body of work that got you here to even have something to say, to have something to channel that you can no longer just hold inside of yourself or that you are feeling like it needs to grow beyond the spaces that you've been able to share it thus far. So I'd love to invite you to notice what is your body of work? What is it that your life has to channel out into the world? And in the same way that we looked at each of those writers and kind of the scope of their stories, you know, who they are, where they are, what big events happened in their life that led to books that they end up writing, um, in the same way, what does it mean to be you in this world? What does it mean to have the experiences and the events and the learnings and um, the lived experience that you have in the same way that Anne Lamott, Henry Nowen, and Liz Gilbert um, are or were fully themselves in the world? um, What does it mean for you to be fully yourself, to have the, the life that you have? What does it mean for you to be giving voice to that life? What is it? Here's another question. What is it for you to encounter the world fiercely through your eyes, your heart, your skin? What has that meant to you? How have you encountered the world through your eyes, your heart, your skin, the way that you're made up, how you see things, what you understand? What you, what you long to share with others so they too can understand or be set free or grow or heal. So as you hold these questions I've just given you, they're kind of deep questions, right? Uh, maybe you might want to journal about them a little bit. I'll, I'll name them for you again. What is your body of work in this world? What does it mean to be you in this world, your life experiences and events and things that you've witnessed? And what is it for you to encounter the world fiercely through your eyes, your heart, and your skin? I I ask you these three questions and um, wonder, as it's applied to your book, you know, how does that want to be channeled? So I really view it as going one of two ways. One is the channeling that wants to tell your own stories, that wants to, um, you know, speak about uh, what it is to live inside your skin and with your eyes and with your heart and tell those stories in a beautiful way. 
because the stories themselves are a gift for others. And if that's your pathway forward, um, I want to encourage you deeper into the path of becoming a writer of creative nonfiction. That is a very specific path to walk. It's just as it's a similar path that Anne Lamott and Liz Gilbert walked in the sense of becoming true literary writers and masters of the written word. Um, it's a path that I talk about in episode one of the podcast, Bookwifery Podcast. If if you go back into the archives and and listen to episode one, I talk a bit about creative nonfiction and what it looks like to even start walking that path. Um, but it's a very specific path if your path is one of telling your own stories. Um, it's a different path than the one that I focus on here at Bookwifery, but it is a, a legitimate, beautiful path that I adore and hope that you um, find your way down in the ways that you need to. Um, the other way that you might find your way into answering these questions about how your experiences, your body of work, who you are uniquely in this world um, wants to be channeled is to channel all of that for the benefit of others in direct ways of helping them learn, heal, grow, um, you know, and this is a path that I, I call general nonfiction. It's books that are meant to help people in a direct way, not through pure storytelling, but through let me take you by the hand and teach you about this subject. Um, let me help you understand it in a way that might be helpful for you. Um, and so that's what I call, that's kind of the way I describe what general nonfiction is. That's what I do here at Bookwifery and um, just want to continue to invite you back here to this space every week listening to this podcast because it's here for you, specifically for writers of general nonfiction to help support you in that work of channeling your, your you, your body of work, your expertise and knowledge into the world for the benefit of others. It's a way of shining your light. So I will share here too, I'll go ahead and put in the show notes, um, a link to finding out about going deeper into your process of birthing a book that's going to do that in the world. We have a new cohort starting out on the journey of book pregnancy in September and registration will open in August. This is in 2018. If you're listening to this later, um, if you're listening to it now, I'll go ahead and put a link into the show notes. If you are wanting to sign up to, to possibly move forward in that journey with a group of writers who are doing something similar, looking to birth light into the world that is for the benefit of others. Um, so ultimately, what I want to communicate to you here at the end of this episode is that this longing to write like Anne Lamott or Henry Nowen or Dallas Willard or Kathleen Norris, Lauren Winner, Liz Gilbert, whoever fill in the blank is that for you. And I would be so curious to hear who that is for you. Oh my gosh, yeah. If you want to meet me up on Instagram and tell me who your writer is that you love, that you wish you could write like, and that you admire so much, I would love to hear it. You can find me on Instagram at Christiane underscore bookwifery, or you can just search for bookwifery on Instagram and it should lead you to me. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, this is ultimately what I'm trying to leave you with is the invitation to claim your life that you've lived the specific circumstances that you have been given to experience, to embody the, um, the knowledge, the training that has been poured into you that you have to offer to others. Um, this is about claiming your life 
your work in the world, your contribution to the world, just as each of these other writers have contributed something. They've done it out of the truth of their own lives and the work of their own lives. The same is being extended to you. What is that work? How are you making a contribution? And that ultimately this is about shining your light so that others may be healed. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bookwifery Podcast. Show notes for each episode can be found at bookwifery.com slash podcast. I'd love to connect with you beyond the show. You can subscribe to my birth notes newsletter at bookwifery.com slash notes, where I share further details behind each week's episode, plus updates on all things bookwifery. My favorite place to hang out online is Instagram. You can find me at Christiane underscore bookwifery or by searching bookwifery in the explore tab. And lastly, don't you just love this music? It's called Lights Dissolve and is produced by a musician named Elliot Middleton. Thanks again for listening.